0: I'm Lauren. I'm Tia. And this is the Journey to Transformation. Sure is. A podcast about... You've put me on the spot now. (laughs) What do we even talk about?
1: Well, it was about transformation. It was about spilling the tea on the not-for-profit sector, all the (laughs) shitty slogany things that we've come up with. But it's since evolved (laughs) slash devolved into us just... Disrupting. Disrupting, being disruptive, being disrupted, agitating
0: gathering troublemakers
1: yeah convening
0: troublemakers, Ooh, convening troublemakers. Ooh. i like it that's a t-shirt that's also a good title for gathering of people <laughs> like in our patron, patreon 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 <laughs> <laughs> facebook group where we convene troublemakers to change the world
1: yes that group is alive and active so join us patreon.com forward slash jrny podcast and you can congregate with other troublemakers.
0: Yeah, well then maybe I would argue that disrupting, dismantling, gathering troublemakers, whatever, is all potentially what we're learning is necessary on a journey to transformation. You know, if we're going to gather different qualities or things that are needed and i'm going to put my basket on my way there then. our
1: post-apocalyptic team
0: yeah i would 100 put disruption dismantling troublemakers in that basket
1: right but if i've learned anything from pernison shout out to pernison episode it's- available on spotify now <laughs> <laughs> or wherever you get your podcast. very nice i like how we did that it's that you need everyone yes and you need people who are agitators and not yeah that's very true it takes a
0: village To
1: defund the UN. Sorry, Perna.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What are we talking about today? Today, well, what I've done is I've gathered some questions... And I've called them white people questions. Okay. And these are questions that I've looked around for and my own questions that I think white people want to ask people of colour or want to know, but are perhaps too afraid of asking. Mm. And I'm looking at it from the perspective of what questions we might need to ask in the nonprofit sector, but also more generally, you know, how often are we sitting down and having these kind of hard questions with people of colour or other minority groups but then on the flip side of that do we even deserve a space (laughs) to ask these kinds of questions so i think there might be a small tension there okay it's just full
1: disclaimer that i'm not an authority on things you know but i think as a whole i can make some like logical assumptions you know just don't dress up like other people and Mm. if you see something that's wrong or you hear something that's wrong just speak up about it in ways that you feel comfortable and safe
0: doing so I think the reason we're doing this is because you say we but you came no, up sorry. with this and you're
1: imposing sorry. it on me
0: that's <laughs> my white power <laughs> i think the reason that i'm doing this is also because i suppose white allyship saviorism mm. whiteness in general is something that's come up quite frequently as a theme across our episodes right and my personal journey of becoming attuned to that in all parts of my life you know i even went to a festival and go swimming and i can't a festival for white people a festival for white people <laughs> and you know i, I go swimming and i can't help but be attuned to the gender and race dynamics around me consistently yeah. i come away from uh, you know wanting to feel relaxed in a swimming pool to being like oh my god that happened or this happened and no, you can't um, shut the critical lens off i, I shan't i cannot you shan't. <laughs> i shan't i shan't <laughs> i can't turn the critical le- lens off which is you know i think a really good way to know that you're on the journey to understanding more when it comes to race and anti-racism practice but also maybe in a very 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 marginal sense like 0.1 beginning to understand what it is like for people of color who are attuned to this every day of their life
1: yeah as a survival mechanism
0: exactly just recognizing my acknowledgement of that you know is very very small part of what people are experiencing every day that's a good white person disclaimer i know (laughs) (laughs) that's a question actually
1: (laughs) i think it's interesting for me, I found it quite hard to turn that critical lens off, as you well know, because I was also at the White Person Festival with you. And you just can't help but notice things. And I sometimes feel maybe I'm sucking the fun out of stuff because I'm just like, why is this happening? Or why do people feel that they can dress as another protected characteristic of someone else? And that's your fancy dress. Stuff like that that's still happening, I... <laughs> Sometimes you suck the fun out.
0: Yeah, definitely. And... Yeah, like I said before, I see that in swimming all the time.
1: <laughs> people dressing in fancy dress. When... Yeah, yeah, like yeah. People in a
0: fancy dress in the pool. And I'm like, well, what is happening? I suppose like where people of color and white people are in the specific lanes, <laughs> and who is barging into my lane? Yeah. So you've got like a slow lane, a medium lane, and a fast lane, right? And that people, people of color, not, <laughs> that people, people of color, are more often than not. I'm obviously not 24 hours monitoring this, but. As I've gone quite frequently. frequently. Yes.
1: You're a very frequent swimmer.
0: They're often in the slow lane. Mm. And then there's often white men predominantly in the fast lane. Yeah. And whether they're fast or not, you know, when I'm in that lane or medium lane or whatever, they're kind of like going in my way, not really giving a shit. I don't know, things like this are just always on my mind. Do
1: you know that you're touching on something that has historical grievance for particularly black Americans?
0: Go for it. Did you know that? I don't think
1: so. There's a whole thing about black people not being given access to pools and swimming and reinforcing this whole narrative that black people can't swim. And it's been this long fight. So sometimes you'll see these sort of flare ups where black children are being harassed or even, you know, not quite uppercase H harassed in swimming pools, but have disproportionately lower access to swimming pools and swimming times as their white counterparts and the kind of subtle racism that seeps in around that. But there's Mm. a really long history. It's when we went to the Black Can Swim. Oh, right, yeah, Camp Quirky. That conversation in Black Can't Swim is touching on some of those conversations.
0: What Tia's referring to is at Camp Quirky, and we've got five or six episodes from when we were at Camp Quirky, is we went to a talk with Winnie. We'll find Winnie. Winnie. With Winnie. <laughs> the title was
1: Black Can Swim. Oh,
0: Black Can Swim.
1: And it was to disrupt the stereotype that black people can't swim, mm. which in some ways was reinforced by the fact that black people weren't allowed to swim. Right. I don't know how strong this narrative is in this country, mm. the United Kingdom, or collection of countries, I mm. should say. But in the States, it's like quite strong. Mm. There might be something in there. I think yeah. you should get your notepad out and should do I a little study. Should I flag to the lifeguards? Yeah. How do you know which is like the slow, medium, fast?
0: There's a sign. What happens if you switch the signs around? I've never seen anyone do that. The lifeguard would probably blow their whistle and be like, you. <laughs> Disrupt.
1: <laughs> Lauren, yes! it's time it's time switch the mm-hmm. signs around if you see a bunch of brown people swimming around just switch the lanes or they might just be like fuck <laughs> yeah, yeah. they might be like You've got to
0: see <laughs> maybe like waves coming <laughs> they're
1: just being super casual i mean that's where i would be right i can swim but i don't swim for exercise mm-hmm. i paddle around preferably with a cocktail of some sort so that's kind of where i'd be but i don't think that that's racialized in any way It's just because I like to lounge. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't like swimming for exercise. It makes no sense. I hate that you do it. Fine.
0: I don't see people lounging in lane medium or (laughs) fast. No, I can't imagine that they
1: would be. But you've talked a lot, a lot about these (laughs) swim lane dynamics
0: that you've got. I don't know. I just find like it's a really key metaphor for life. Who is in the slow lane? Who is in the medium lane? Who is in the fast lane? Who identifies themselves as being medium, fast, or slow? Who felt entitled to be in the fast lane. Yeah, exactly. Regardless of a, ability. It's a choice. Right. So, you know, yeah, exactly. If you go and stand there, what lane you choose to be in, I think, says a lot about yourself. Yeah. And also how those goalposts change depending on who's in that lane. Yep. So if I go in the medium lane and there's some slow people in there, they've defined what medium is That's that day. That's a casual. Casual, whatever. You know, they've defined what medium is that day. Right. And maybe fast is now more what I would consider medium. Like, we all have different definitions of what that is. Yeah. And so sometimes I go in the medium lane, but maybe I'm the fastest person and I should be in the fast lane. This is about your ability
1: to adapt to evolving context.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Hence the metaphor for life.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was listening to Caroline Criado Perez's podcast, Visible Women. Have you heard it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She's great, isn't she? Yeah, she's very cool. Caroline, come on our podcast (laughs) or just come in the van and hang out with us. You don't have to podcast. I know you've got your own podcast, but so do we. We can collab. And I was listening to an episode where they're talking about whether playgrounds can be sexist. And so it's a really, really interesting episode because she's talking about how early on people, predominantly men, learn that space belongs to them and how entitled they are to space. And it's how playgrounds are constructed. And she's got some people on who have researched play spaces for children all over the world and how they're constructed in such a way. I mean, one of the stories that she's telling here is that they tried to do an experiment where they cut the football pitch in half so that they could give people who were playing football and people who weren't playing football access to the big green space because what was happening is people who weren't playing football predominantly girls who were being edged out of playing football by the boys because they wouldn't pass to them or they would tease them or whatever Mm -hmm. those children were actually playing in the margins of the playground so like under trees and behind fences and in unsupervised areas and living on this marginal space where they weren't actually allowed to play, which we know is codified as a human right. So they should be allowed to play. And she talks about how the boys who predominantly played football were kicking off by the fact that they had to split the field in half. And the people who didn't play football, who predominantly were girls, were like, oh, this is great. Like, cool, we have equal access to the same space. And isn't that nice? If you've listened to our episode with Sabrina Joyce Stevens, you'll hear we talk a little bit about the zero sum and the fallacy of scarcity. You already see like zero sum being brought into that space. If the predominantly girls have half of this space, I don't have that space. And therefore I am now in a scarcity mindset. It's a little bit freaking in the kids.
0: But that is so crazy to take it back to those really early roots of some of these dynamics. And then, I mean, I would assume then that they manifest and continue. Continue to do so over your childhood. Also, a really concrete structural example of that kind of space. You know, here's a playground, here's where kids go. And people generally just assume it to be pretty neutral, objective space to play in.
1: Childhood and children's play is quite possibly the most terrifying thing for me. Wow. It's horrifying. Because that's where you start developing the social rules and establishing social rules that one may carry with them for the rest of their lives.
0: Mm. And so out of your control because you as a parent can't govern that space unless you somehow become a park ranger or I don't know. (laughs) A park ranger. I'm in charge. (laughs) We go by these rules, you know, which I think would then become more problematic well but then there's a hierarchical (laughs) (laughs) thing responding to
1: authority
0: yeah oh gosh see
1: it's a minefield this is why not to use the term minefield lightly but this is why childhood horrifying it's a terrifying place yeah
0: wow really interesting possibly an episode needs to be done on that hi Caroline 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 okay shall we get into some questions okay and these are quite you know you can give me long answers (laughs)
1: which is interesting because you never let me give you long answers and in fact I feel sometimes we're in conflict because you say I talk too
0: much stop talking (laughs) okay one place I want to start is there's been a rise in the use of pronouns she her they them perhaps more openly Mm. in the spaces that we work in on calls people declare she her in their emails they them whatever at the bottom and that's obviously related to gender and sexual minorities and bringing awareness to that to some extent and solidarity with the trans community yeah and solidarity but what does that look like when i want to identify someone of a particular race or i i want to be like my friend is black or a person of colour. As a way to prove you're not racist. I have a black friend. Asian. (laughs) That's not steady where I was going with this. But, But you know what I mean? If I'm saying this is my friend... They're black and they're from Ethiopia. I don't know. Mm. I mean, can I just ask in the same way? What does that look like? And do Mm. I just say, you know, where are you from? (laughs) Or how do I do that making sure I'm not building assumptions about who you are and where you're from?
1: Okay. Well, how pertinent is this information to the thing that you're trying to achieve? So, like, is it necessary? So if Mm -hmm. you're like, this is Tia... She's brown. She when do you need to do that? Just curious. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. And I, I was also thinking that with the question itself. Do only I gather the data you need? <laughs> do I need to know? Or do I want other people to be aware of it that I think could be racist or that Why are you hanging out with racists? I know <laughs> But like I, I
1: don't know. Like you're worried somebody in your company is gonna offend let's put me in this situation because I'm the only person you hang out with. <laughs>
0: So maybe I don't need to say, or maybe if it just happens to come up in conversation, mm-hmm. you know, someone's like, oh, I've been to the Philippines, blah, blah, blah. I wasn't sure about this. And I was like, oh, maybe you should talk to Tia. She's from the Philippines. Or maybe mm. you should talk to blah, 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 because, you know, more of a connecting piece, maybe, right. okay. rather than Tia's a person of colour. <laughs> Flag. <laughs> Ambiguous
1: person <laughs> of colour. Somebody once described me as ambiguously raced.
0: Oh, wow. And how did you feel about that? I think I quite liked it. Okay. People kind of
1: get me a bit confused sometimes.
0: How would you prefer to be identified if somebody did have to? Just person of colour, is that okay for you? How do you feel about that? Yeah, That feels fine. Okay.
1: Next. (laughs) Because in the example that you gave of like, I'm going to the Philippines, you should talk to this person because they're Filipino. Yeah. I think that's pertinent to the conversation. Yeah. It's pertinent to the conversation also because, you know, I've been to the Philippines many times. So in this example, you have more information as opposed to like, you should speak to this random Filipino without ever knowing whether or not Mm. they're actually from the Philippines. Mm. So you have background information and that you're connecting a relevant thing to a relevant thing. And I think it's fact-based, it's informed. I'm struggling to think of an example where you would just be like... This is my friend and they're Pakistani and like I'm just I'm just struggling to, speak yeah, to that yeah, kind of uh, a scenario. Maybe
0: it doesn't exist. I mean I guess I was just kind of thinking about it in the comparison of people identifying their gender up front. Right. How does that look if you identifying race up front? Yeah. But actually maybe that's just not necessary.
1: I actually find it a little bit weird because I was filling out a form. I can't remember what it was for. I think it may be for like my PhD stuff in stupid school. It was always asking me stupid questions. But I had to fill out this form and It had like this whole list of race and ethnicity that you had to check which one you were. And I just finally put prefer not to say because the list was so long, I couldn't really be asked to find which one (laughs) I was under. I just can't. I can't. I can't. Obviously, I think it's important to collect demographic data to make sure that people aren't being excluded. Caroline... I know how important data is, if you're listening, I get it. But in that case, it was not relevant to the actual thing I was trying to do in that form. So I just passed on it. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) I think the one that's harder that maybe I don't really have a good answer to is the other example question that you were giving. When you have a curiosity about someone and you want to know where they're from, but you don't want to ask them in a way that assumes they're not from the place that you are because they don't look like they should be in that place.
0: Yeah, that's
1: And that one, I don't know. I will say that I did get into a little bit of trouble with this.
0: Okay, share, do share. Ugh, it's a little bit awkward. in trouble.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I was in Oman on a holiday. And as somebody who's half Filipino, I know there are a lot of Filipinos. The diaspora is massive. And we often will be in hospitality industries or in care industries, yada, yada. So I was in a hotel and there were lots of people working in the restaurant and a number of them were filipino and i knew that a number of them were filipino because i could hear them speaking tagalog and so i was with somebody else and i had been teaching them a few things to say like a few greetings and one of the wait staff came over and i said oh you can practice your tagalog now and she said actually i'm not filipino i'm from indonesia and i said oh Trimakasi, which is thank you. And she said, ah, sama sama, which is you're welcome. So I just barely squeaked past in that one because it could be quite offensive. Because I also kind of fell into that really racist thing of all Asians look alike. In fairness, she did look like one of my relatives. So, like, I don't know how far I can get away with that, but. (laughs) <laughs> sorry to all the filipinos and indonesians i'm sure i will hear it from my aunties then i'm a dick um on this matter and on many others so i think it can be really hard in this instance i was trying to connect with this person in a very awkward way and was very sufficiently embarrassed by what had happened
0: i think from personal experience maybe that's better if i speak from that rather than we
1: <laughs> i think um, that you can speak from all white people
0: oh why people I'm speaking for us we tend to assume that because maybe we've been to a particular country or maybe we've got some mm. kind of connection that we know yeah. you know like maybe you've been on holiday to Thailand or to Colombia and suddenly you come oh, back oh I've and done Thailand right ra- and, and, <laughs> and you come back and you're like yeah I, I know you know I yeah. know those people I know the people from there what they look like blah 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 there's just yeah. this like huge then assumption and then I see people carry that into their social spaces and, yeah. and everywhere you know oh yes I know what that's like I've been yeah and it's it's this real kind of status oh i know i've been that's a colonizer's mindset yeah <laughs> really. Okay, yeah
1: then. i always find that really awkward when somebody's like oh yeah i've been traveling and i'm like where have you been oh yeah i did this place yeah like, but what does that tell me a bit more about and they're like oh the culture is just so rich what did you learn about the culture mm. <laughs> like, yeah yeah i'm just curious how you feel you can capture a whole history like in in this example that i've given i felt like mortally embarrassed And I'm half Filipino, have been raised in Filipino family, feel very deeply connected to that culture and thought I knew something, Mm. made a massive assumption and I was wrong. Mm. And I have been to Indonesia, speak a little bit but I was very very embarrassed and very and felt very wrong and I don't experience white people having that same kind of self-reflective yes
0: right like bit that's my question next is what do you do if you do accidentally assume which you shouldn't in the first place but let's say you have and you say you know oh uh <laughs> I don't want to say anything <laughs> terribly, terribly racist and <laughs> stereotypical but yeah you, know, you you accidentally assume someone's identity or where they're from and what do you say oh I'm really Sorry, I made an assumption. Like mixing up all Spanish speakers, for example. Right. Yeah. Or, like, you know, what's it like in Spain when actually they're from Venezuela? <laughs> yeah. You know, so, so what do you say? Like, how do you recover from that? Can you be like, oh, I'm really sorry, I made a terrible assumption. Yeah, Telling me about fun.
1: Venezuela. Style it out. I guess I would say that probably for our average listener, they're probably going to know that that's a hole to fall in. And mm-hmm. if they fall in that hole, they're going to be able to figure out an appropriate response to. Yeah it i feel like for people who probably aren't listening to this podcast they're probably not even going to realize that they fell into a hole Mm. so yeah okay share this with your friends (laughs) (laughs) but i also think it's really hard because people mistake me for being from different places all the time how do they mistake you though what do they say well people generally will know that i'm american but then they'll do this thing where they're like where are you from And then I'll say, well, I'm American. And they'll say, but where are you from? But where in America? No, no, no. Like, where are your people from? Oh, I see. Actually, I used to work for this really shitty organization. And I had a conversation like that with a white person there. I was like, I'm American, but I live in the UK now. And they were like, no, but where are you from? Where are your people from? And I was like, well, how far do you want to go back? The cradle of humankind (laughs) is on the African continent. But that's not like, what, what are you looking for in this exchange? And that guy, I don't think even registered that what he was saying was offensive
0: yeah but this question where are you from is really problematic i yeah. think and i think has become unfortunately a bit of a reliable opening to a conversation yeah. especially when you're traveling or especially when you're working in other contexts yeah. and maybe there's quite a diverse group of people that you come across yeah. it almost feels like a catfishing phrase because you feel like oh where are you from is like the opening to a really engaging conversation and you're demonstrating your curiosity and you know trying to put this person's life central to this conversation when actually you're embedding a lot of power dynamics and really delicate misunderstandings about what you're asking
1: i think that there's a good question to ask and it is something that i got from catherine dignazio i think it was catherine dignazio it was definitely in data
0: feminism we'll put that in the show notes great book
1: yeah catherine dignazio lauren klein they're amazing come on the podcast and they ask a question whenever they're bringing people together for whatever kind of thing and instead of where are you from they ask Ask,
0: what brings you here? Yeah, great question.
1: Which I think leaves space for the person to tell you, because the thing that you're trying to achieve is to know more about another person. And your starting place is geographic, ethnic, for whatever reason. But I think there's another way to ask that question. And have your curiosity satisfied about another person because i think at the heart of it you're just trying to get to know another person yeah i think there's other ways to ask that tell me about yourself mm. or
0: let's do a focus group discussion
1: yeah. <laughs> <around>. or like <laughs> tell me about your journey you know <laughs> <laughs> jokes because i think the second you're like where are you from you're creating this distinction of i'm from here you're from somewhere else yeah, very you're, you're othering
0: it almost immediately yeah so I don't really like that question. And what brings you here is kind of unifying because you're in the same space together. Yeah. So you're already starting from a place of we're both here. Yeah. You know, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Also, in some contexts, where are you from
1: has kind of darker meaning. It in-group out-group association commonly identified with criminal and delinquent groups.
0: Okay. Yikes. So, like,
1: where are you from? Is like a...
0: Yeah, okay, I can see that. Orange is the new
1: black. No, I'm just kidding, I didn't get that from that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, next question. Okay, and it's kind of actually related to this, well, all of it's related, but I'm going to give a, another scenario. So what often happens is, you know, back in when I used to work for organisations, you'll be in a meeting maybe or an important discussion with people and they'll all be white and... At what point should I say, if I notice that... Get out. (laughs) Why is this meeting got all white people in it? Mm. Where are people of color or yeah. other minorities and how can i do that in a way that's not tokenistic yeah. because then what if i ignite like a oh yes quick go and get tia <laughs> you know because that's bullshit <laughs> and presumably i should have noticed or maybe i wasn't involved in who was brought to that meeting so yeah. i've only noticed it at that point yeah yeah can you help me with that one please
1: this is a really good one and i'm gonna actually steal something from evie another camp quirky podcast podcast alum. I remember she was telling us that when she's invited to things she asks to know what the composition of the group looks like and I'm really paraphrasing what she said so go and listen to her episode it's really really great and she effectively says I don't enter spaces that aren't diverse
0: effectively it's kind of the that's mainstream. a great great answer but
1: I've used that as a response a couple of times when people have invited me to stuff and I've said look I've looked at what you've got here and diversity is really important to me it's important that I Feel represented and that I see other people represented in that space. And when I've looked at the materials that you've got, I don't see that. So unfortunately, I'm going to have to say no. Nice.
0: And, and I, what has been the reaction to that?
1: Yeah. So in a couple of instances, nobody responds. <laughs> but in one that was really good, which then sort of made me change my mind about this organization, this company, a little bit, is they said diversity has always been really important to us. And I'm reflecting on the materials that you are pointing to. And actually, I see that you're right. And I I'm going to speak to our marketing communications team about this. And, you know, a generic thank you for drawing this to our attention, which I quite liked. I'm happy with that. Whether or not they do it, I don't I don't know. But it was a good thing. I don't know that Stephen Bartlett's listened to your call for more diversity. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we did an episode way at the beginning. <laughs> I think it's beginning. episode three or potentially four <laughs> on Stephen Bartlett's lack of representation, which he has somewhat corrected, but there's still quite a lot of white men on his podcast. So you know. yeah, a lot of white annoying ones as well. Yeah. I mean, some interesting ones, a lot of annoying
1: ones. You're raising a really good point, And I think that a couple of things that interact with that is the extent to which you feel you've got the power to challenge that because in this period in our, lives and our professional lives, I think we should be asking those questions of like, why does this look like this? Why is this group comprised of the people that it's in? You and I, when we do our equity pauses and we ask what voices are being excluded from a process is a way to kind of encourage organizations to think in that space. I think if you feel that you've got sufficient reputational capital and power within an organization, then I think the fucking boss bitch move is to be like, I'm not showing up. One, because I know what my power is and I'm not needed. What you need to hear from are these people. Or two, I'm not going unless you're demonstrating to me that you value other voices within this organization.
0: Yeah, no, that's really, really, really great questions to ask. And a lot of that is wrapped in your confidence to be able to do that as well. And I think maybe, as you say, the power dynamics and maybe when you started the organization, what your position is, what your gender is. Many things interact with your confidence and ability to challenge that space.
1: I do think that in our work, you probably have a little bit more latitude to do something like that, because mm. nobody in the not-for-profit sector is going to be like, fuck you, we yeah. only want to have white people, and <laughs> like, nobody's going to do that, right? Yeah. No one will do that.
0: Although I do and can hear in my head the echo of, oh yeah, we'll do it next time. Oh yeah, really great point, we'll address that next time. Yeah. Or like, oh, we don't have time, this is the Ukrainian response meeting, we need to save lives. The t- tension between let's do it now because we need to save lives versus meaningfully doing with the diverse and the right voices.
1: And I think that to a certain extent, that might be right. It may be a better thing to kind of call attention to it in a slightly different space. Like mm-hmm. if you're heading to your meeting and you're sitting there looking around the room, that may not be the time. Maybe save it for your AOB, your any other business.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, even like, you know, when I think about that, throwing out a question like why are these people not here is probably enough to get some people feeling a bit awkward. Yeah. Which is kind of what you want to do, isn't it? You wanna unsettle the systems that keep white people in the room.
1: I mean, this was a question I raised when we were working at the humanitarian open street map team. Stay tuned for that glass door. Because Cause effectively all the senior directors were all white yeah and i was like mm, how did this happen why is this happening all white global north people and then they brought in sort of regional directors but who were very much in a subordinated position to one of these directors in yeah. terms of the org chart yeah so even though they were running whole regions they
0: that's crazy yeah it's fucking crazy. That place is crazy. Going Stay soon.
1: <laughs>
0: Thank you. That was really helpful. Was that um, helpful? Yes. And I've definitely come away with a few questions uh, that I'm going to throw at some people.
1: I think we should start doing this more, to be honest. I like, agree. I mean, in fairness, we do it a lot where we're like, who's in this meeting? Does it represent this person, mm-hmm. this person, this person? With one of the clients that we have now, I said, hey, we've only ever heard from senior people and they're all men. Mm-hmm. Hello. And then in subsequent workshops, we've said, okay, let's hear from people that we haven't heard from yet because they, inevitably these conversations can get dominated.
0: 100%. And what we often find is the dynamics of the evaluation in terms of the gatekeepers, the people that are available, yeah. are often reflected in our evaluation findings anyway, yeah. in relation to who makes decisions about what in the project or program, right? Yeah. So there is really an echo in terms of how the evaluation is managed and what that looks like in the evaluation findings of the program where. Processing. indeed um, i definitely
1: think that we should start being like we're not going to show up until there's a sufficiently diverse group of people here
0: oh that's bold i mean they'd pay us in advance so. <laughs> <laughs> love it <laughs> This is, again, reflecting what you just said about the dynamics that somebody brings in terms of confidence, gender and how they can call people out in a meeting. Eh. What should I say if I do notice, perhaps in a similar kind of meeting or situation, that someone is being racist? How do I call that out? Because there is also the intersecting piece again around your confidence, who you are, what your position is. And what if I can't risk calling out because I feel that that might make things difficult? It might put my job at risk. And at the moment, cost of living crisis, blah, blah, blah. I can't afford to put my job at risk. But I can see these things happening. What do I do?
1: You've got your phone in this meeting. Turn the recording (laughs) (laughs) on. i have two views of this the eagerly confrontational part of me is like call that fucking fool out and say that's inappropriate i'm not gonna stand for it gross it's not cool and it's worse it's offensive and it's hurtful And it reinforces these legacies that, you know, the second part of me is sometimes people like accidentally racist, (laughs) which I see kind of a lot Mm -hmm. and experience kind of a lot. For example, I think it's in the world of the micro invalidations, micro insults, where it's the actually. Is a great example where someone's like, oh, that's actually you actually did a good job. <laughs> like, well, it suggests that you assumed I wouldn't do a good job. Mm-hmm. And why did you make that assumption? So sometimes people are like accidentally racist mm-hmm. without understanding what that means. So I think if it's kind of an accidental racism and you've got some rapport with that person, I think that's probably the one on one conversation. But if somebody is like dropping fucking the N-word in your meetings, get out. It's easier to work in these extremes, but if somebody's like being a bigot and a racist and saying stuff that are kind of like sitting in that middle space, I think you need to document it. And document patterns of it. And I think you need to speak to somebody else about it because what's gonna probably happen is that person's gonna feel very confronted if you just start calling them out in public. Mm. And I think that's the kind of confrontation that is also really uncomfortable for the person calling out. Most people struggle with confrontation. So even I struggle with confrontation and I love confrontation. So, like, it can be really difficult in that space in a public space to call out behavior like that yeah if it's one extreme of like really everybody's kind of silently acknowledging that what's happening is really uncalled for really inappropriate really fucked up vote with your legs Mm. and take yourself out of that space because who fucking knows how they're going to respond if you start calling them out
0: and that's the thing that you've got to be confident in the protection mechanisms and whistleblowing stuff in place yeah
1: yeah the thing for me is like people who are racist And people who let that racism come out of their mouths, I find them to be really unpredictable because it means you don't really care that much about social norms and therefore you are just a ball of unpredictability because you're okay saying crazy shit. And if you don't know it's crazy, then you're a damn fool. And if you do know it's crazy, you can say it anyways. I don't know how safe you are to be in a room with, you know? Mm, Fair enough. In the middle space, I think you do have to have confidence that your internal mechanisms are going to support you which not everybody you know you yourself talk about your challenging relationships with the human resources department
0: (laughs) (laughs) indeed indeed and also when you talk about the accidental racism Mm. let's say you're in a room and it happens and you notice it but maybe everyone else is like that person so they don't notice it either yeah like there is an attunement to it potentially Yeah. yeah and uh you know i didn't realize that existed or i didn't see that or i
1: I mean, we're touching a little bit on something that we discussed in a catfishing episode of like you're the only one who recognizes that something's right, that everybody's the same. It goes kind of back to the previous one of like, is your reputational capital, is your social capital high enough that you can influence that group of people? Mm. Is this a teachable moment? Can you say, hey, let's pause together just for a minute? Like, obviously, I think it'd probably be harder if you were in a 200 room panel or something like that. If you're in like a team meeting, I think depending on your relationships and your rapport with those other people you could probably say can we just pause for a second because something that's come up it is uncomfortable and i don't think it's appropriate and i want to draw attention to it one it depends on your relationships with those people and two it depends on the type of person you are because also there's nothing like a shit sandwich email i think you're a nice person However, in this meeting, you said this. It made me feel this way.
0: You know what I mean? I'm on your journey with you to progress. High five. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's
1: techniques for giving people feedback that you think might be challenging. And in some ways, that might be a more productive approach. Mm -hmm. If only because now you've created a trail, a paper trail, as it were. Right. Demonstrating And in some ways, people might be able to hear that better. Like when people give me bad news, like when you tell me something that I've done that's bothering you, it just makes me want to flip out because that's just not how I handle them for
0: <laughs> <laughs> Lol. Okay, noted. I don't <laughs> want to blip out.
1: <laughs> I don't want to process in real time. Like I need to go away and have a little think about it, and then I'll come back and I'll have my coherent thoughts. But in the moment, I'm like, it's why I have so many emails in draft because people say shit to me, and I'm like, <laughs> and then I go back and I look at the email, and then I revisit the things I've said, and I structure in a way that's much more diplomatic. So you know yeah I think it kind of depends on like the type of person you are
0: is the person there no I, I just realized sorry listeners that I haven't done the parking <laughs> so I'm like it's okay no one's there it's just the post person these are the things when you do a podcast a event
1: yeah you might get parking tickets <laughs> <laughs> so I think it depends on how comfortable you are and how safe you feel to raise something but there's usually always somebody that you can tell if not The internet Just make a fake account Upload the recording
0: There's also um, A really good website That my friend Claire Always guides me to Previous manager Actually an excellent mentor I'll just plug Claire (laughs) Um, I can't fucking remember But it's called Dear Manager Or something Okay And it's lots of people Who have had issues With their manager Mm. Around race And other things Any issue You can think of With your manager And people write like Dear blah blah blah, I've had this issue And people respond It's good We should read some of those Yeah that's a good idea let <laughs> me find it. <laughs> it's really hard
1: because I've been as you well know when I was working at the Humanitarian OpenStreetMap team. I was raising very hard and complicated issues with human resources about experiences of racism, about misogyny in the workplace, and they just weren't capable of handling that from a practical right. or conceptual perspective. So sometimes like you're just dealing with people who just can't deal with it. I feel like any time your human resources is comprised solely of white people or people who may not really get the subtle ways that racism may be kind of dropped into a person's universe and how over time that affects them is really really hard to explain if you haven't experienced it some people can not experience something and really deeply know how shitty it is like you're a very empathetic person to an annoying degree sometimes (laughs) If you're open to some feedback about that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wait, I'm going to flip out.
1: (laughs) But I feel like some people it needs to happen to them before they understand. And if you've never had the experience of something happen to you on the basis of your protected characteristics, then it's really hard for you to understand or how it may be a combination of things. Mm. I think there are a lot of variables in that space that, that make it really hard. If you've got enough power call people out I think that's the only way but that's my style some people may prefer to call them out in private or via email or whatever there but I think, think you probably need to say something because nobody's learning in that space because what happens is well what could happen is like for me I'd be in these spaces and I'd just be filled with anxiety because I'm just waiting for the next thing to happen or waiting for the next inappropriate comment to come out as opposed to look let's figure this out you maybe don't know that what you're saying is really inappropriate and offensive I'm gonna tell you it is and now after but at this point if you don't correct i'm gonna burn your house down hmm.
0: yeah that metaphorically
1: speaking of course
0: one chance everybody gets one and then boom <laughs> 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 it's really hard to hear you talk about stuff with the humanitarian open street team because from my perspective having been on the consultancy journey with you for the past year and amazing podcasts that we've worked through some of these really hard issues with it feels all the more stark yeah so yeah
1: you know we've talked about separate episode about this but that time there was the hardest I've ever had in my professional career because I've never felt so much the target of abuse that I could very pointedly say that was about my protected characteristics there was maybe one other time in which I did write a very strongly worded letter about my treatment there but this was like on a whole nother weird gaslighting scale it was just like yeah it was really, really wild. And okay. to have that only happen in two organizations, I think is actually quite good, considering how many wow. organizations I've worked for. But you know, there's a reason why there's like a ton of research on this stuff, because it happens all the time, particularly to women of color. It happens so much so that it's only really happened to me one substantial time and then another time is in some ways
0: i'm lucky me oh what a sad (laughs) reality yeah all right next something you mentioned at the top of this episode and we've been talking about a bit is cultural dress so I want to go there now with this question. Okay. When or... This is, is just a V-neck T-shirt. I don't... <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about that V-neck T-shirt. Is Where's it from? <laughs> My it native dress. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Tell me about leisure wear. When or is it ever appropriate to dress up in another group's cultural dress or clothing I will give another scenario there's two lens to this there's the one of social life dressing up going to festivals or whatever yeah. but also in our work life there has been instances where I in the past have gone to do interviews or focus group discussions in remote places in South Sudan and that particular group of people that I've been talking to yeah. have said no stay for coffee, tea whatever stay yes. and then they're like oh we want you to put this on like yeah. their dress or whatever yeah. and it's quite rude at that point for me to say no you know no i can't and or translate the meaning of why my no is not offensive therefore i found myself in cultural dress that has absolutely nothing to do with me so let's maybe start first with the you know i'm going to a fancy dress party and it's 70s and i might want to wear an afro
1: I know that this is in part an example that you're giving because I have raged about this. (laughs) Yeah, I've been to many festivals in the United Kingdom and it never fails. You'll see people in Native American headdress. You'll see people in grass skirts. And as somebody whose family immigrated from the Philippines to Hawaii, who has Hawaiian relatives, I also find this very offensive. And you'll see people in 70s outfits with afros. And anytime you're dressing up, as somebody else like a group of people and that's a costume don't do it just don't do it and i think the thing about the afros that i would say is if your hair doesn't naturally do that like if you can't actually do that with your own hair i would just stay away from it personally good advice personally for example i know that sometimes you wear a wig whoa oh my gosh what are you doing
0: (laughs) tell our listeners about my
1: wig wearing but it's straight hair and it's just purple or whatever crazy color it is Mm. could you conceivably dye your hair that color yes it would have the same or similar texture and the same kind of features fine I'm fine with that. But if you cannot make your hair into an Afro, don't wear an Afro wig of any color. Because some people wear their hair natural. And it looks like that. And so you're kind of dressing up like another big group of people. So I just think, just don't do it. Okay.
0: Absolutely. Zero. None.
1: Nada. Absolutely. Zero. None. Nada. Because there's just no reason to. The festival that we recently went to, it said in a whole world where you can be creative, be creative. So don't appropriate other people's culture in your dress Hmm. one i think it's great that they said that on their website and in multiple places too it's a bit weird that you have to say something that. yeah it's 2022 come on
0: this is also a weird thing about british people you're so like "Mm." so tears making some kind of weird square with the hands yeah you're like straight
1: yeah like "Mm." tight yeah yeah tight tight that's it you're so tight about what Everything. But then the concept of fancy dress, people get fucking
0: wild over it. It's Mm. so weird to me. The dissonance, it just doesn't make any sense. There is a bit of two sides of a coin, I think, in British people. Mm. You know, the kind of straight laced, maybe is what you're thinking of. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I like tight (laughs) better. Versus the ability to get absolutely hammered, wasted, dress up, be wild. Yeah, it's like your
1: version of the purge.
0: <laughs> yeah pretty much
1: yeah i I just think just don't do it don't dress like any group of people don't do it
0: but can you dress like people that are in films that for are- example birth mm-hmm. of a nation? <laughs> What movie is that? <laughs> so Look so, it up I guess later. like <laughs> so that extends to like films, people from cultural groups in films, or some kind of representation of a group in a film. No, it could be slightly modified in any way. No, no so, so I'm no. saying the no extends to that. Yeah, okay. yeah. Do not dress like
1: any group of people, however, in whatever fashion that group of people is represented.
0: What about if it's an alien group? And they are not here to say that that's cultural appropriation. We could be cultural appropriating an alien group's dress.
1: Yeah, but how would you know that you are? You're just guessing if it were to happen, and I do believe in alternative life forms, but if it were to happen, it would just be a really, really good guess because you don't know that that's what they dress like. Mm, You don't even know if that's what they look like.
0: Fair enough. Okay, so let's go to the second bit. When I was in South Sudan or when many people travel to different countries, there might be an instance where when you're interviewing or talking to a particular group of people, and it tends to be in more remote places, which is in of itself a privilege for a white person to go there and, and interview a group of people living in a remote part of the country, and they may ask you to stay and to partake in some coffee or tea or, I don't know, partake in a ceremony. Germany or to dress hashish. up, yeah, hashish or dress up in their local clothing, and they invite you to do so, and, and to say no. Particularly, the translation of that no could be considered quite offensive.
1: They've made you their white baby doll.
0: What does that mean?
1: <laughs> they're dressing you up for their amusement. Right, so that's Right, Okay. <laughs> 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 it's for them, right? There's probably a perception of like a reciprocal benefit of you get to try this thing on and mm. like, isn't that cool? Mm. But they're like dressing you up to see what your white skin looks like in their stuff. <laughs> that's for them. That's not for you. <laughs> so that's fine. Okay,
0: okay. <laughs> but what if you take a picture of that and then you put it on the internet?
1: Don't, don't do that. Because you can't explain 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 that, right? Mm. Like you cannot explain that. A photo is never going to be able to explain all of the things that led up to that moment. The internet is forever, people. People are going to take that picture and then you're going to try and run for prime minister and they're going to raise this thing and then you're going to say, no, 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 I was their white baby doll. And they're going to be like, you have to prove that. It's just going to be chaotic. Right, so right? if you're thinking about unseating Liz Truss, keep that photo in a dark, dark place. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> what if I buy some material? And this happens a lot. I've done it. Where I might buy some printed material textiles textiles from a market in juba or ethiopia or wherever Mm. and get something made out of it you know a skirt a dress whatever that isn't necessarily culturally reflective of local dress but might be a skirt i want but it's from textiles that are part of people's cultural dress
1: i think it kind of depends on what it is to okay. be honest i think if it's like a type of pattern like there's some patterns that will get put on things that have special significance mm. and if you make a crop top out of that it might be fun <laughs> so i think it kind of depends on what it is and what you're going to do with it mm. i guess i have a follow-up question about tartan Ooh. Because that's kind of similar, right? The Scottish heritage attached to tartan. Mm. But people have tartan bow ties or like... scarves. Yeah, and like yeah. I have a tartan hip flask cover. Mm. So I guess I just wonder if people are producing things in and of themselves and like allowing that to be mass purchased, then mm. maybe they're okay with it.
0: Because there's significance attached to the yes. fabric,
1: to the style, right? Yes.
0: Okay. And also different families and stuff have their own different tartans.
1: Yeah. So I think in... In that instance perhaps it's slightly different because people are producing these things and then making them readily available and I've only been to Scotland twice but I did see a lot of shops with them just on whatever. I think if you get something made, as long as the print isn't culturally significant, you know what I mean? Then I think it's probably all right to like have something made. In the extremes, I can see taking some really important fabric and making like nipple tassels out of it or something like that. <laughs> Don't do that.
0: I mean, for me, unfortunately, that... Have you already made the nipple tassels? Yeah, God, sorry. <laughs> I'm going to have to burn those. But it's almost like a humanitarian rite of passage. Going to a Pocket, getting some textiles, getting a skirt or a top made or whatever and mm. taking it away. And then if I see that in London or in the UK, somebody wearing something like that with a very clear, perhaps East African style pattern, makes me cringe and die a little bit inside. Okay, don't come around Lauren with that <laughs> shit then.
1: I guess the other side of it is like you want people celebrating the kind of fabrics and the style and the design and it's something that's like nice and interesting. So you want people doing that. I'm drawing very stark distinctions between things but it's probably a much finer line between what is taking something that's cultural dress and showing like appreciation or an admiration for Mm. the style
0: you know what i mean yeah i think that's another podcast episode appropriation versus appreciation are you gonna come in here with a sorry or something a sorry
1: yeah (laughs) i
0: can if you want okay i've done harm okay i will acknowledge it (laughs) (laughs) no not sorry oh sorry Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> Which brings me on to a final, final question, actually. Um, and this will help us wrap it up. Big shout out to the BAME Online conference that I went to in July, run by Martha Awajobi, who we're going to talk to really soon. Yay! Yay. They asked at the conference to every speaker when did you realise you were part of the problem and what have you done about it fucking love that question yeah when can I ask that question of me and to who yeah exactly (laughs) when can I ask that question and to who is that appropriate for me as a white person to ask that question to
1: oof well don't ever ask that question of me
0: (laughs) I feel like you probably can't
1: do it one on one with any person of (laughs) colour
0: I'd have to prefix it with like I've done a shit ton of harm blah 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 But no, it's never appropriate. Yeah, no, (laughs) no, it's never appropriate. (laughs) I really rethought that. Don't do it one-on-one. I think that
1: probably what you'd have to do is say, here's when I realized I was part of the problem. Does anyone have any
0: reflections? (laughs) Does that resonate with anyone? (laughs) I don't think you
1: can ask people directly because some people might say that because of the historical legacies of slavery, racism, colonialism, that I'm whipped up in a problem that white people created and that's why I'm here today, right? Mm. When you ask people to be self-reflective over that piece, you could get a number of different things. For me, I know that I'm perpetuating a machine that props up colonial dynamics in relationship to how it works with people who live in the quote-unquote global south. Like, I know that I do that, and I recognize that, and I try every day to figure out ways to be less shitty in that respect. In other respects, I'm very happy to maintain my shittiness. But I think you could <laughs> open up a whole yeah. universe of things. So I think probably it starts with your own sharing and then inviting people to comment on that or themselves.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask other white people that question? Yes, Okay, and you should yeah speak to your fucking friends. Okay, I'm off. <laughs> I've got lots of questions <laughs> because I think that that's your
1: white people book club, right? Like fix. <laughs> no, my eyes. <laughs> but that's like your guys's work to do Mm-mm. together. And I do have some people in my life who have convened circles of their white friends and have been like, "Look, there's some shit going on. We need to recognize it." We're like kind of perpetuating some of this shit or recognize yeah. how we might be enabling things to happen by virtue of our inaction mm-hmm. so i think it's actually quite a healthy thing for white people to get together and i've said in previous episodes i don't necessarily need to be involved in that space but it's nice to know that people are having those conversations with each other mm-hmm. just don't be like i've got this black friend who's gonna come and like <laughs> yeah take into the philippines i'm
0: gonna bring her in <laughs> <laughs> what are you
1: guys talking about <laughs> anytime okay. i see a group of white people sitting in a circle i'm not trying to be in that space <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
0: very fair (laughs) really helpful thank you you're welcome Um, this has been a really really helpful conversation really unwrapping not just those kind of surface level questions yep. about what I can and can't say as a white person yep. but also some of the things that are underlying our work and coming up time and time again and how speaking out about racism and things you see is not as easy there's lots of kind of confidence, gender, leadership other dynamics in workplaces that people are battling with I suppose so really good to unpack that and the cultural dress is used. <laughs>
1: I'm going to so, dress you up in some clothes oh god <laughs>
0: Anything else you want to add before we close, wrap up?
1: No, I think those are good questions because I think these are probably questions that lots of people have, but they don't want to ask. And I also think it is always much more complicated and you may have people in your life who are like, oh, yeah, I don't care. Here, put mm. this thing on or do this thing. And
0: Absolutely. And I really so- hope that this helps other listeners, other white listeners, <laughs> hello, white listeners, <laughs> start to become more attuned and sort of on that critical journey that we mentioned at the beginning. Yeah. And I hopefully through that, you'll start... Start to feel when things are slightly off a bit sooner than you might have done previously because there is some kind of intuition in there if you're not sure or you're feeling that actually this might not be right then probably that's the point in which you pause and you do a bit of research or you seek guidance or whatever right and so trusting that i think as you go on this journey is really important and that you will get it wrong yeah and that you know having conversations about it and how you got it wrong and what you did to, to rectify that are important
1: i think the theme that's through some of the- this stuff is kind of wanting to connect to people. Yeah. Like it's a good faith connection that you're trying to build with people and how do you do that in a way that's not, I mean, some of the stuff that you're talking about is not that, but a lot of it, the centerpiece of it seems to be how do you connect with people without offending them and how do you find ways to connect? And I think just to reinforce that there's other ways to connect with people beyond what we look like and those differences between the way that we look. We do that socially because it's the thing we can see, right? It's our skin. We can see it on the outside. It's our skin. It's our hair it's our whatever's we can see that so it's like our most immediate thing but particularly british people love talking about the weather it's a great place to start
0: talk about the weather (laughs) yeah
1: yeah have a couple of jokes in your back pocket yeah a couple of knock knock jokes out throw that out there's so many different ways you can connect with people that have nothing to do with what they look like where they or their family hail from or where your family hails from there's just so many different ways that we're connected that we can be close to each other and connected as like social creatures that don't have anything to do with those things so So if all else, if you're not sure, 100% sure you're not going to offend somebody, just start with, you know
0: knock knock joke <laughs> i love it that seems like a great conclusive piece of advice <laughs> but to all our listeners if you have any other questions that you feel i should be asking tia or that white people should be reflecting on let us know send us a email jrnypodcast at gmail.com or find us on instagram at jrnypodcast and drop us a message and we'll seek to read those out in the future oh that'd be fun Hey. <laughs> well thank you for listening i'm lauren i'm tia and this has been the journey to transformation bye bye thank you for listening to this week's episode of journey to transformation
1: leave us a five-star rating and a written review wherever you're listening to this podcast
0: journey to transformation is written and edited by us tia rogers and lauren burrows our music comes from Praz Canal.